Consistency is the grand test of truth. And tonight I would like to attempt to open up a doctrine that requires consistency. And that is a doctrine that covers the entire story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, or in other words, a way to look at the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation from start to finish. And we will have as our goal consistency. So let us labor to be consistent. Can we do it? Well, let's start by understanding a little more about consistency because that really is the test. Error will betray itself because it's ultimately inconsistent. And truth will be known because it is the only thing that can be consistently maintained across all the aspects of life. It's like a giant Sudoku puzzle. If you've ever tried to work those mathematical puzzles that have nine squares and you have to choose which number goes in each square and only one number will fit in each square. Well, in the same way, consistency is the test by which we determine, can you take that idea? Can you take that word or that theme? Can you take that conclusion and apply it everywhere? I would like us to practice that and we'll begin this evening. And the reason consistency is so important is that it is a picture of the one great mind, the logos. In the beginning was the word. The Greek word for word is logos, from which we get logic or clear thinking. In the beginning, God was there as the logos. He is ultimately consistent because he binds all things together. Colossians 1, he is before all things and by him all things hold together. He binds them together. A university is supposed to be an institution where you can get a universal perspective on all things. That is a single binding principle that ties in all aspects of life. In the past, universities would be Christian. That is, they attempted to bind all things under the headship of the Trinity. So some of the old universities even had the Trinity in their crest or their their motto. These days, even if they had an ancient allegiance to Christianity, they want to destroy whatever they can of Christianity. They are fast contradicting themselves with no difficulty. Well, internal consistency means no self-contradictions, like a perfectly balanced algebraic equation. 2x minus y equals 24. And then what is x and what is y? How do you figure those out? A perfectly balanced algebraic equation would be consistent because ultimately it will work out step by step without contradicting itself. But internal inconsistency is a kind of insanity. It's when you contradict yourself, like when a man calls himself a woman, because then his body is saying to everyone, man, but his words are saying woman. He's contradicting himself and is therefore trapped in a kind of insanity. External consistency is the next category. So we just mentioned what? Internal Internal consistency. That's when you are consistent with yourself. But external consistency is when the subject steps outside of himself and looks all around and says, am I consistent with the world? You may think you're a great soccer player, but is that consistent with what the coach thinks? 
The coach may think you should not be on the team. But in your mind, you think you're Lionel Messi. So that's, there's an inconsistency there. And of course, the greatest external consistency is when our minds match the mind of who? The mind of God. Because he alone is a standard of goodness, truth, and beauty. And these three always complement one another. They work together. So consistency is a reflection of the mind of God. And we want a theology that can go from Genesis to the maps and cover consistently every verse in the Bible as an introduction to our study, as an introduction to all the Bible, as an introduction to the story of the Bible. We need to have as our beginning point this idea, this concept of consistency. Ultimately, all creation will be reconciled to God. In Colossians 1 verse 20, to be reconciled is to be consistent. He will one day make all things consistent. How will he do that? By putting those who are unbelievers in the perfectly consistent place. And by putting believers in the perfectly consistent place. All those in Christ will be with him for eternity. All those outside of Christ will be lost. This is the consistency that the New Testament explains for us. The hopelessly short-lived philosophy of postmodernism argues that all truth is relative. They don't mind contradicting themselves. Well, this disinterest in contradiction is actually demonic. It's one more example of the difficult times, the dangerous times that 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 says will come in the last days. In the last days, dangerous times will come. And then Paul lists all these sins that will grow in the last days. And postmodernism as a philosophy is a philosophy that ultimately says, I can contradict myself with no repercussions. One reason why it will be short-lived. But it is a great mercy of God that he gives his spirit to guide the church to submit to his word. Because as we think about consistency, when you bow in front of the Bible, what does that do to you? It makes you consistent. Because your thoughts and ideas and opinions will change from day to day. Or your thoughts might be different from your pastors or your friends or your neighbors or your relatives. But if you have the Bible and if you have the Holy Spirit pressing you under the Bible and you find as you get underneath the Bible that there's all these other people who are under the Bible with you, you will all be bound together in a kind of consistency. So with that being said, how can we arrange our thoughts under the Bible? Well, the Bible has 780,000 words. That's more than Lord of the Rings. That's more than Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. That's 10 times more than the Quran. It's a large book. How in the world could we expect a book with that many words dealing with such broad subjects as philosophy and ultimate realities, how could we ever expect it to be consistent? And if we found it consistent, what would that tell us about the author? Well, the answer is that it would tell us that God wrote this book. And it's especially remarkable when we see all the Proverbs, the Psalms, the history, the laws, the laments, the letters, the speeches, the stories, the parables, even the myths. And the fables. Do you know the Bible has fables? In the book of Judges, 
Jephthah tells a story about how all the trees got together and they were talking to each other. And then the thorn bush came up and started talking to the trees. That's a fable. That's a myth. And the Bible has those. Well, how are we going to understand the consistency of the Bible? That is the great task of systematic theology. Now, a system introduces categories like shelves on a wall. And so perhaps you're familiar with me saying this, but I want you to get into your mind the idea of shelves on a wall. And for the rest of this lecture, we want to arrange our thoughts like shelves on a wall. And then as we go through the Bible, from now through the rest of your life, think of your understanding of the Bible like a room that has shelves on it. And what your job is to do is to fill up that room with Bible verses and put every verse on the right shelf. And that's going to be difficult because you might find a verse, like look here in your notes. You might find a verse that says this here, Matthew 24, 36, of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. What label should you put on a verse like that? You could put the label true. You could not put the label false. You couldn't put that that label on that verse. Could you put this, the person of Christ, on that verse? The church for hundreds and thousands of years has not put, they have not put the phrase, the person of Christ, on that verse. What label have they put? The humanity of Christ. Why? Because it shows that Christ did not know something. As a man, he was subject to not knowing. But as his divine godhood, he knew. This verse should be labeled the humanity of Christ. It could also be labeled angels. It could also be labeled the plan of God. It could also be labeled second coming. There are many ways to label it, but the point is you could never label that verse. Label. A verse that teaches the humanity of Christ. And then again, put this label on as well. A verse that has nothing to do with the humanity of Christ. That would be inconsistent right at its core. You cannot put a label that says, it is the case That this verse explains the truth of God. And then another label, it is not the case that this verse explains the truth of God. That would be inconsistent. So there might be many different categories you can put on any verse. Or one verse might go on multiple shelves at the same time. Or have multiple tags or multiple labels. But none of those labels can contradict. Which is why someone may preach 20 sermons from a single verse. Or you may hear two godly preachers preach on the same passage and they might say different things and both of the sermons be true and good and beautiful and powerful and different. Now, those pastors could not both say contradictory things, but they could say different things. So now let's step back now. 
outside of this well-organized room with all the shelves and the labels, right? You, you following me with the room here? Now step outside it and look at the door. And what do you have on the door? You've got a sign. Now, inside that door is the room with all your shelves. And on your shelves are all the Bible verses you're reading. And every time you read a verse, if you're a good reader, you're going to put it on a shelf. Or try to. And that's one of the reasons I marked my Bible. To help me with the shelving. But you're stepping outside the room now and you're looking back at the room. And the room is your knowledge of the Bible. That's what the room is. It's what you know about the Bible. Now, what kind of a sign would you put on that door? It could be a single word. It could be a phrase. It could be a sentence. It might be something very long, but what are you going to put on that door? Now, I want us to see that men have tried over generations to put something on that door. They have tried to put a sign on that door that correctly tells them what's inside. And then here's what they've done. They've tried to go to other people and give them signs as well. What would you call someone who goes around telling people what sign to put on their doors? A Bible teacher. I'm trying to put a sign in your door. I'll tell you at the end of the course what sign it is. See if you can figure it out in advance. But for the next few Sessions, let's examine a sign that is commonly put on a door. If you were an atheist, you might put a sign on the door saying, Things I mock, or confused statements that I don't like. You might put that sign on your door. If you were a Muslim, you might put words of God that have been corrupted by man. You might put that on your door. If you are a confused person, You might put some other backward or incorrect item on the door. But you see, for the true Christian, he's going to put a golden plate on his door. And it's going to say what? The words of God. My final authority. That's what he's going to put. Because the true Christian knows I put myself under the Bible. That is my king. That is my boss. I obey that book. And what you have is you've got only 70 years or 80 or maybe 90. In fact, less than that, because most of us don't even start reading our Bibles until we're 10, 20 or 30 years old. You've got a very small window before you go out into eternity. You're going to be swimming in an ocean. You're going to be walking forever. You're going to be in another world living without beginning or without end, and you've got this brief window to fill up that room because here's the amazing part of the story. How you fill up that room is going to determine the rest of your eternity. So this is not a minor thing. What kind of sign do I have on my door and what shelves have I put my verses on? This is life and death, which is why the missionary enterprise exists at all. What would make people leave their families and their homes and go to a place where they sound like a child and they can't talk clearly and they get robbed and stolen and beaten and they lose their money? Because we are convinced 
that if you don't have the sign on your door that says God's word, my final authority, and if you don't have your shelves being filled up with Bible verses, you will, you will be found hopeless at the final day. So having said all of that, what can we do? What should we do? What have people done in order to populate their room with the right verses? What, what have they put on the, uh, the shelf marked highest priority? I'll tell you, if you put tithing on the shelf marked highest priority, you got it wrong. It doesn't belong there. Something else belongs on the shelf marked highest priority. But that is the problem we have today. Many people will put something uh, about baptism or is the earth flat on the shelf marked highest priority and a verse about justification will lie there on the ground. So the great goal of our lives and the aim of our Day-to-day existence should be to make three things. Your affections and your actions and your beliefs. Line up. Label exactly every single love, every single thought, every single action that you do. Line up exactly the same with the same labels as those which God the Father labels them. And we know that's what Christ does because he only loved what God loved. Hebrews 1, 9. He always did what pleased the Father, John 8, 29. And he is the truth. He exegetes the Father, James, John 1, 18. So this ought to control us. Now, having said that, for many years, godly men have placed something on the door underneath the part that says God's word. They've placed another word underneath that placard on their door. And then when they step into their room, many of their shelves have that word that's on the placard. It's now on the shelves as well. The word is covenant. Covenant theology is theology where covenant is written on the sign of the door. What is the room? Your knowledge of the How much do you know about the Bible? That's the room. And on the sign of that door that opens up that room is the sign that says God's word, my final authority. And right underneath that, but in very large capital letters, they've written the word covenant. And so my question is, what does that mean? Well, what that means is that they arrange the verses in the Bible with labels like covenant of grace or covenant of works, or federal. And with these glasses, they look at all of Scripture and they try to consistently interpret the Bible through the lens of what? Covenant. And having said that, I'm done. There's the introduction. I want us to be consistent. I want us to use the lens of covenant to look at the Bible and see what happens when we are consistent. Any questions?